day and welcome to the GMC podcast, the place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you the sermon series, The Teachings of Jesus Christ the King, Part 5, the eschatological discourse on the end of the present age. This is a 12-part series considering the teachings of Jesus from chapter 23 through 25 from the Gospel of Matthew. In this last teaching block of the five in Matthew's Gospel, we find Jesus teaching in the week of the Passion, the time of his trial and crucifixion. As he comes closer to the cross, his teaching turns to the end times, moving from teaching in the temple precincts to the Mount of Olives and a need to always be watchful. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and now be encouraged to respond to God's word and be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. But before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Creator God, we bring our praise and worship this morning, mindful that we owe our very being to your love and mercy. There is nothing we can do without your presence in our lives. Father God, thank you for all that you provide for us, for comfort, strength, encouragement, and the power to change. Father, you are our rock. We need your steadfast presence with us every day. You guide our path, direct our thoughts and actions, so that we can witness to others of our need for you. Help us to reach out with your love to all who need to know you. You are the foundation on which we can build with confidence. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have given us to bring you glory and to lead people to you. When we look around us, we marvel at the world you have created, and we are so thankful for all your goodness and mercy towards us. You have given us the responsibility of caring for your creation and we fail you daily. Forgive us and set us on the right path. You are a forgiving father and you are always ready to forgive us when we confess our sins and wrongdoings. Hear us now, forgive us now and pour your mercy over us. Awesome God, you surround us with love and comfort when we are struggling. Thank you for your promises. Promises we can trust because you're a faithful God and protective Father. You're with us through the trials we face. You bring us out of our darkness and into your radiant light. You rejoice with us when we are celebrating. Help us never to forget to show our gratitude in both our good times and when we are in difficulty. Keep us praising you. Father, at the start of this week, we thank you that we will have opportunities to make a difference. Help us to recognise these times and to reach out with your love. May we be your body here in this community. We want to be the disciples of our living Lord Jesus, who was prepared to accept the blame for all of our sins. Father, when we face criticism and ridicule, give us strength to love those who mock and remind them of your sacrifice for all your children. Thank you that you answered our prayers. Hear the spoken and unspoken prayers of each of us and grant us your peace. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Following that time of prayer, I hope your hearts are prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. 
If anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word or the sermon, challenges you and maybe raises questions. Or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. Details to support us financially can be found on the homepage of the website, clicking through a support us with stewardship icon. Now, over to our preacher. I promise you a quick refresh. It's been quite a few weeks since we last looked at the final discourse in Matthew. We started in chapter 23, which not all scholars include as part of the discourse. Either way, it sets the scene for what is agreed on as part of being the Olivet Discourse in chapters 24 and 25. We started with the charge of hypocrisy to the Pharisees. Jesus was in the temple speaking to the crowds about the Pharisees, even though the Pharisees were there. He was warning the crowds to do what the Pharisees say, but not what they do, as they do not follow their own teaching and are self-serving. Then we moved on to the condemnation of the hypocrites. How can we forget? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Whilst the message was for teachers, the need for all of us to have authenticity and credibility is essential if we are to win souls for Christ. And then latterly, we moved on to the judgment of Jerusalem and its leaders. Israel was meant to be the light of God to the world, yet the teachers, made the, the teachers of the law made this impossible through their stubborn, hypocritical and self-serving attitudes. God longed to bring his people into his loving protection, but they refused. The question was asked, is the, is the Western church in danger of making the same mistake. It has been a lot to take in, but it doesn't end there. We pick up the story as Jesus, having had his standoff with the Pharisees, is leaving the temple with his disciples, the score being Jesus won, Pharisees nil. We pick the story up at Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Jesus said, Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. This part of the reading brings to a conclusion Jesus' final visit to the temple. Remember, this is the week of his passion, the last week of his life with us on earth. His visit ends as dramatically and controversially as it started. In chapter 1, we find him thrown over the tables of the moneylenders as he arrives. At the end of chapter 23, he's accusing the Pharisees of hypocrisy, 
being tainted with the blood of the prophets, in other words, murder, and then lamenting over Jerusalem's rejection of God, of Christ himself, claiming that the temple is left desolate. In other words, God has left the building. How to make friends and influence people. Leaving Leaving the temple by the east gate, they proceed to the court of Gentiles, where people from all walks of life would be milling around. This is where we see the crescendo to Jesus' standoff with the Pharisees. His disciples are in awe of the temple building and bring it to Jesus' attention. Being fishermen and the like from Galilee, not all of them would have had much opportunity to visit the temple. The temple was built by Herod the Great as an attempt to improve relations between Rome and the Jews. It was situated on the plateau of Mount Moriah and was in the region of 145,000 square metres or 36 acres with its courts, outbuildings and chapels. At the far end was the temple itself, built of white marble with parts plated in gold and doors made of bronze. As it shone in the sun, a man could scarcely bear to look at it. It's easy to imagine the amazement and wonder the disciples must be experienced with that vision in mind. What must they have thought when Jesus told them there would be no stone left unturned? The temple would be utterly destroyed. High to low in a few seconds. I bet they wish they'd never said anything. Here we see Jesus, a prophet in action, prophesying the destruction of the temple, which occurred in the year AD 70. Something to bear in mind about the statement about the destruction of the temple was used against Jesus in his trial and as a taunting on the cross culminating on the cross with Jesus saying, it is finished, it is complete. From the temple, from the court of Gentiles, Jesus and his disciples make their way to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the temples. Given the dialogue that we are about to look at, it's quite significant that as the disciples are discussing what will happen next, that they can see the temple, the subject of the conversation. So let's pick things up at Matthew 24, verses 3 to 8. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. 
You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Thanks be to God. Questions, questions, questions. The disciples are well known for asking their questions. Here they are asking a double question. I have a few expressions about questions which have come in very useful at times. In a learning situation, the only silly question you don't ask, the only silly question is the one that you don't ask. If you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. Would you like a cup of tea, love? Oh, yes, please. Oh, drat, I didn't really want to make you one. So I ask. But this is the one that's been most useful. If you want to get the right answer, you need to be asking the right question. Any English teacher will tell you that asking a double question is a dangerous thing. But the disciples here are not asking a silly or a dangerous question. For them, the question they were asking made perfect sense. They did not see any complication. To understand it from their perspective, we need to know a little about Jewish eschatology at the time. <clears throat> the Jews divided all time into two ages. So there's a present age and the age to come. The present age was wholly bad and beyond all hope of human reformation. This can, this can only be restored by the direct intervention of God. When God does intervene, this will be the golden age, the age to come. But in between these two ages is what's known as the day of the Lord. This will be a time of terror and anguish. It will come suddenly and the universe will be shattered to pieces. Some quotes from the Bible. Zephaniah 1, verses 14 to 16. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on that day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be the day of wrath. A day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. Then we have 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And Joel 2, verses 30 to 31. I will show you wonders in the heaven and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming 
of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Here are some descriptors, there are many more, of what the day of the Lord will be like in, the, in Jewish eschatology. It will be a time of moral chaos, when moral standards will be turned upside down. And even nature will act contrary to herself. And when wars and violence and hatred will be the common atmosphere of life. Taken from William Barclay, the Daily Bible Study, the Gospel of Matthew. So we've got the age, the present age, the age to come, and the day of the Lord, which, come, which fits in between. But layered onto this fundamental thinking was the belief that the destruction of the temple would, bring, would bring about the golden age, when God would take up his throne on earth. Hence the double question. For them, they were all part of the same happening, same event. With this in mind, let's take a closer look at the questions the disciples asked. When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In their asking, the disciples had assumed that the destruction of the temple would be the prelude to Jesus' return. As we work through the discourse over the next few weeks, you will see that Jesus makes it clear that the two events are not chronologically connected. In the verses we heard today, Jesus is answering the first question, when will this happen? When will the destruction of the temple happen? It is easy to apply the language of the Jewish concept of the day of the Lord and read it as the second coming of Jesus. Again, we'll get into this more later in the series. But for now, we are focusing on the prophetic destruction of the temple and when that will happen. The destruction of the temple and Jerusalem came about because, quite frankly, the Romans got fed up with the squabbles and infighting of the Jewish leaders. Titus was given the job by Rome to bring Jerusalem down. Being a competent soldier and strategist, he realised that to attack Jerusalem, it being on the plateau of Mount Moriah and having the advantage of height, would end in failure. Instead, he decided to starve the people of Jerusalem to death. Following which, his soldiers went in and Jesus' prophecy was complete. It was fulfilled. So to answer the question, when, we need to look at verse 34 and chapter 24. I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until, the, until all these things have happened. No stone was left unturned. No stone was left on another. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the destruction of the temple. But what can we learn from this? To get the most out of it, we need to see it through the lens of Jesus' final discussions in the temple. 
The takeaways are to keep our focus on Jesus, to walk the walk and talk the talk. Can't do one and not the other, we must do both. And not to block the way for others to come to know Jesus. Instead, open the way, be God's light in a struggling world. Let's take a glimpse at the second question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The first thing that jumps out to me is that the disciples had acknowledged and accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. In the question they ask, what will be the sign of your coming, not the sign of the Messiah's coming? I am conscious that some scholars read this passage as a prophecy for both the destruction of Jerusalem and signs of the end of times. If you are of this school, there are a few things you need to bear in mind. In every generation, there have been wars and rumours of wars. There has been famine and natural disasters. In my time, I have heard it said that the Cold War with Russia was a sign that the end was coming. The nuclear bomb was another, and fighting in the Middle East, to name but a few. If anyone claims to know when the second coming of Jesus will happen, be careful, be very careful. Jehovah's Witness have built a whole religion on predicting when the end will come. But let's fast forward to verse 36 of chapter 24. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying at that point, the angels don't know, the son doesn't know, so how can anybody else possibly know? Only God the Father. In the days before the flood, Noah's contemporaries were going about their business as they'd always done. They were completely oblivious to what was about to happen. At that point, no one knew, not even Jesus. But a part of this dialogue, Jesus does give us a warning and some encouragement. The warning, take heed that no one deceives you. If something doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, and doesn't sound right, it most likely isn't right. Don't accept everything and everyone at face value. Test them, check them out, measure them against what it says in scripture. And then we have two encouragements. See to it that you are not troubled for these things must come to pass. Have faith, 
God knows what he is doing. Do not let these things distract you from your walk with God and doing his work. And then verse 8. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. None of us like pain. But what we learn from this is that the events are not the end, but signs of a new beginning. The birth pains of a new age, bringing hope, deliverance and liberation. Questions, questions, questions. Where does this leave us? What questions do we need to ask ourselves? So what? What does it matter when Jesus returns? What difference does it make when Jesus returns? If Jesus was to appear here and now, right in front of us, what would your reaction be? Would you run towards him with open arms? Would you bow down in awe and worship him? Or would you be frozen to the spot in fear of unfinished business? So what? What is the question we need to ask ourselves? For me, there are two questions. Am I ready? We will learn more of what readiness looks like in the coming weeks. And the second, and perhaps the most important for me, is do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? Matthew 23, verse 37. In getting this right, everything else will come together. For all things, for in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And remember verse 6. See to it that you are not troubled. Don't worry. God has it all in hand. Trust him. He loves you and he's not going to abandon you. You are precious to him and he calls you by name. While we await Jesus' return, focus on him. Let him be your priority in life. Obey his word and share the good news right up until the last day. Shine his light in the world, in Scotland, so that others may enjoy the love and fellowship of the living Lord. As followers of Christ, we are washed in his blood. As followers of Christ, we are saved by grace. As followers of Christ, we are redeemed. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8 verse 17. 
Thanks be to God for his gift of love and salvation through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details of who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org, find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website or by calling the office. Details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.